Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza here. Monday morning, September 18th, 2023, in Morgantown, home of the 2-1 West Virginia University Mountaineers, fresh off a, um, let's say memorable, for, for whatever reason, memorable 17-6 victory against Pitt Saturday night in the backyard brawl. Here to talk about that and what is next for West Virginia is Chris Anderson, Chris, uh, swollen lip, bloody knuckles. How did you get out of the brawl? I got a little tired. It's been a long night, um, mm-hmm. almost as long as the night uh, with Duquesne. Even even though Duquesne had the lightning delay and everything, that that was there's a lot going on. Visitors, video coming in from from Andrew, you and I podcasting. I think I was still posting stuff at like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. So a little tired, not not really beat up. Okay. Fatigue. Get the RPMs up for a rivalry, and then, you know, it's hard to get back down to earth. I understand. I know how it is. Back into it this week. Today, Monday, is a football day at Earsports at WVU. Head coach news conference. Select players, coordinators. They'll talk about the win against Pitt and, of course, the game coming up Saturday, 3.30 against Texas Tech. We are not the only ones with questions. Chris, subscribers have questions. They throw them at us. We grab the best ones, answer, and then you finish up with a written format later on. I feel like the optimism is pretty high here right now. So let's get into the questions because I'm as curious as anybody else as to where this goes right now. I liken this to like an intersection that has no road signs. You're just kind of there. Like there's all these roads that are going in different directions, and we just don't know where this is going to go for different reasons right now. So let's try to figure this out. I'm going to start things off with a little more of a fun question for you, Mike. From Macon Bacon. Was Pitt's QB the worst Power 5 QB we've seen come into Mountaineer Field? I really did go back and look at this, and and man, there were some bad ones. Like There were some Big East ones from back in the day, like Temple had some bad ones. I can't say it's the worst, because it's an exhaustive list, but recent vintage man I, I i happen to think that it's worse than some of those kansas quarterbacks that i spotlighted the other night some of those guys scored some points and what's what's concerning at least relative to this question the future of pit that's not new for what's going on up north right now like they were bad last week and they were bad saturday so something is going wrong there um i can't say it's the worst there are some there are some stinkers for sure in the past but recent vintage yeah it's been a while since we saw one play that poorly especially one that was kind of as as touted as he was coming into maybe not the game but coming into the season for sure i was going through as well trying to figure something out i saw it like looking for individual performances i guess because like you said like some of those kansas guys were bad but still still scored some points um i I thought about being a, a smart aleck and asking does this include wvu quarterbacks Coming into Mountaineer Field and playing, because um, there were some rough performances uh, over the years. I want to take you to, um, I think the worst performance. There was somebody worse, and I'm going to give you the year. See if you can remember it. This is 2015. You won the game. Non-conference, absolute blowout. 
a rival, I think you would say. Oh my gosh, what was his name? Um, did you? I, there was a guy. That, I mean, it, it was statistically, it was it was a lot worse. He threw, he, he he threw was, like four picks in the first half. It was Maryland's quarterback who had a weird. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it wasn't Garmin. It was um, Caleb Bro. Caleb Bro. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's it. Wow, he was awful. That's a good one. Okay, ten of twenty seven for sixty seven yards with four interceptions. Yeah, he got benched. And again, it wasn't even really a one-off with him because he kind of bounced in and out of the lineup for Maryland as like a backup, and then maybe he's going to start, and then he's a backup again. He had 28 interceptions to 18 touchdowns for his career. So not only was it one of the maybe the worst one-off games by a Power 5 quarterback at Mountaineer Field, but he was just generally not not a Power 5 quarterback, I think is a polite way to say it right now. Um, I was going back to I went to the eighty to seven game. Brian Cuba was four for fourteen for twenty seven yards and four interceptions. Does that count? That's pretty bad. He completed as many passes to his team as he did to the other team. That's true. And it was eighty to seven. And I think there's at least two pick sixes, I believe. Pretty bad. Uh sorry, that's a fumble return, so not all on cue, but that was a bad one. But yeah, again, for a guy who who had some pub and Neil Brown said he was respected in pro circles. That's a small circle today, I would guess. But yeah, for again, recent years, that's that's that takes the cake for me. It was pretty poor. Te- technically, the Arena League Two is professional, like so. Okay, technically chess, not checkers. Uh, next question comes from Luke Zoolander one Three games in, what's been the biggest surprise to you about this team so far? One positive, one negative. Uh, defensive line, way ahead of schedule, way above the bar. And what's interesting, Chris, for that one is that the revelation has followed the prediction. They said they were going to play eight or nine people. They have. They said they weren't going to have a star, but they were going to have a number of solid contributors that could roll in in waves. They have. And I just think it's going to get better and better and better. And and they're keeping solid snap counts. They're not overextending. They're not accelerating the, the pace for development. Like they're keeping Tomiwa Durajayi and Davon Hawkins and Vitorma Moba and now Asani Redwood kind of like on, on pitch counts. Don't overextend them. You, you maximize their ability by minimizing the amount of time in the field. Like let them go and run their engine really high and then come out and cool off. And they're doing that. And that's cool. The surprise for me is the secondary on the other side. I just thought it was going to be better because I thought they would hit on the transfers. And maybe they have, maybe they haven't. It's hard to tell because, you know, haven't seen a healthy Keyshawn Cobb play very well, but he missed last game. Uh, Anthony Wilson has been just okay, probably. And then I think Beanie Bishop has been good at one corner spot, but Montre Miller, TBD at the other. That hasn't helped, but um for it to be as bad as it was the first two games. And I, I just, again, I can't wipe it away because I saw Phil Jerkovich the other night. I, I still think that's a problem. And like, they want it to be better. They try to make things easier. They're getting good defensive line play and pass rush. And yet that secondary is still just a concern for me, which again, that probably isn't supposed to be a surprise, but I just thought it would be better. And the fact that it's not, and, and was kind of sieve the first two games, especially the second game against you know inferior competition that that still was a surprise me. I thought it'd be better in that game. I'm going to go with my 
positive surprise being the Will linebacker spot. Like, I mean, that was probably my biggest concern um, for this team. I, I thought that was going to be so weak, or I would but weak is weak sounds so bad. It was just it was just such an unknown. Uh, like I said, there was uh, you had Favris, Lathan, Butter, you know, combined basically zero um, collegiate snaps that meant something, you know, that that weren't during garbage time or weren't. I mean, special teams mean something. I'm talking about defensive snaps, but none of them had ever played like meaningful, close game college snaps ever. And that's pretty rare for a position, especially with how transfers work nowadays. Like you can typically find somebody that has played some form of college football at some level at some point. And they couldn't. Westford, they, they tried. WVU tried. So when I say I'm surprised that Lathan is being as amazing as he is, uh, I, I, I want to say that the coaches are a little bit too because they were trying hard to add a Will linebacker all offseason, all the way back to December. Um, uh, going over the Florida State linebacker, I think ended up at, at UNC, I believe it was the, the big target that everybody remembers. Uh, and going all the way through the summer, having guys up for visits, sneaking, sneaking guys on, trying to get guys out of the roster. And they even during fall camp weren't sure who was going to start. And and there's Lathan, and he's been outstanding mm-hmm. so far this season. So that's the biggest surprise for me. Negative? And I don't know if anything surprised me negatively. Like that's fair. I, that's fair. Uh, you know, like I think the defensive line, like I said, I, I would have put that as the second positive because I was worried about that preseason with some of the comments, but they've been solid. Secondary. I wasn't sold and still not sold, obviously. Uh, wide receivers, you could see it going that way, the way it's gone so far, just because you've turned over the entire room, basically, and you just don't know what you're going to get. And right now, it's not looking great. Um, still got time, still early, still have to deal with, you know, you're dependent on what your quarterback can do. And right now, WV's been limited at quarterback, which, again, was something I thought was possible. So, I don't know if I've been surprised negatively about anything yet. Yeah, I get that. Um, next question, SJJSWVU4. Fast forward to December. Assume the season is somewhat successful with a seven or eight wins. Which three players on each side of the ball are you bulk of your NIL budget at to make sure you retain them? I won't put the limit of three. You can do one, two, five. But Mike... Where are you spending your NIL money this offseason? Well, offense, you start with Donaldson, correct? I mean, at some point, can I can I go ahead and push back? You want me to push back on that later? Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to start with Donaldson. Okay. I'm keeping Gallagher. I, I, I'm not out on Rodney Gallagher at all. And then just because I kind of believe in skill position, now you're thinking, okay, well, is Traylon Ray going to be there at the end of the season? You're kind of projecting that. Don't know. They lose some offensive linemen, but like you'd like to keep Tomas Rematch, but like, do you give an offensive lineman NIL money? Probably the quarterbacks. Don't know. Nico might be one you'd want to keep just because of his pedigree, the four star coveted kind of a guy. Uh, maybe I come back to that one to finish the conversation, but offensively, it's a stick there. Offensively, I would. Definitely go Donaldson. I would definitely go Gallagher. Those are those are pretty important ones for me, but it sounds like you're going to push back. I'm not sure I'm spending a ton of money at running back, regardless of who they are or how big of a season Donaldson has. Again, he's an excellent player. 
he could be amazing this year. He could finish with well over a thousand yards and a bunch of touchdowns, tears it up there in Big 12 play. But that is the most loaded room on the roster. And it's also, you know, if you if you take that NFL manager, general manager look at it, it's also maybe the most replaceable position on the field of any um any position group. And quite honestly, I've heard some things and there's no max budget, but I think, you know, Donaldson's well taken care of already. So I think if, if there's if there's more NIL money that needs to go to Donaldson, it might be time to say we're tapped out and and, and move on. So I think that's my my pushback on on Donaldson and really just the running running backs in general. Like I just just not going to spend a ton of money on it. Okay, so you went you went a little Bill James, uh, Billy Bean here then. Yeah, that's where I'm okay. going. Okay, okay. So Gallagher then. Yeah, I, I think you I think you can drop a few few bucks on on keeping the talent there. I think offensively, yeah, I'm 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 focused on quarterbacks and wide receivers. And no offense to Green or Marchio, but right now neither has shown me that. You know that that's where I need to be spending my money on on retaining quarterbacks. So I would be yes more focused on, uh, I'll say Wyatt Milam, Rodney Gallagher, Traylon Ray, uh, any wide receiver with some eligibility and, and some some upside. Yeah, Milam was one I was going to get to there because that would be a bad look if he walked away. Like, and one he could go pro, but if he comes back and you talk him into coming back, we well, got a left tackle there, but also. You know, guys know, and if you lose your center, your right tackle, um, you lose two good parts. Maybe it's time for him to go. Maybe, maybe he wants to go try some NFL stuff. Could you bring him back? That's cool. That would probably be where I would spend my third, third bit of money there too. Um, here, here's my question for you then, Chris, as a, a branch off of this, you have one bag left. Somebody has just like given you one bag. Said, hey, I said three, but actually it's four. But it can only go to a quarterback. How do you think this looks in December? Like, what what quarterback do you think you would be talking into coming? Oh Back to school for one more year. What a question! What a question! Hmm. Like we're at that point right now. We're like, well, you know what? They tried Marky. It didn't work. And for this team to be good, you got to have Green because he came back and settled things in you know whatever October. But like, what if Marchio kind of takes over here? What if he beats Texas Tech? Green's okay, but they're not going to rush him back. And then he beats TCU on the road. And like, well, you can't change it now. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, Marchio is your quarterback in the future. You got to keep him. Kind of a weird question. Well, and I think so. I guess that's what the question comes down to: is do I think West Virginia is going to rattle off a couple wins in a row right now with Nico at quarterback, or and... play well enough that you don't make a change just because Green is healthy? Right. Hmm. Probably have to go one on one. Yeah, that's tough because I mean, I like honestly, but I, I want to cop out and be like, I'd take that bag and go to the transfer portal. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think, yeah, you're right. Because if the if if, if Marquio wins at least one, maybe two of these next games, plays well enough, the offense gets moving, say the offense starts scoring some points with Marquio quarterback, then yeah, I'm spending the money there. I think he gets a, a little bit of an edge also. Like if you're looking at it as, hey, these two guys are even. If you view them as even talent-wise, Mark Yo get the gets the edge because 
he's got extra years of eligibility. He's younger, and, and you have to take that into account, just like you know, pro teams do with their players. Like, would you rather have a a thirty two year old slugger or a twenty seven year old slugger? You're gonna take twenty seven year old. Um, so I, I have to give a little bit of an edge there to Marchio if it comes down to those two being even, partly because he's younger. I also think a bidding war with Marchio is more likely than a bidding war with Green because of age, but also because of reputation there too. Um, I went back and I like, kind of just like sped through the pick game and certain parts that I wanted to see. And we mentioned this in the podcast, there were stretches in that second half where they did open things up a little bit and they let him throw it. And there were some situations where, you know, he called his own number on an RPO or, or his own read, I would guess, whatever you want to call it, but he kept the ball. Um, I, they, they started to look into the future a little bit in that game. Very curious to see how much it expands with him under center, presumably this week. I mean, I don't, they cannot play the conservative button down. Oh my gosh, that quarterback on the side isn't very good style against Texas Tech and whatever quarterback they see, because Texas Tech is going to really try to go pedal the metal and, and boat race West Virginia, because that's been the case in the past. So why wouldn't they try again? But also, they know that. Like a, an artillery or weaponry battle right now, West Virginia be a little bit shorthanded, but West Virginia cannot further shorten its hand. So I, I think there's a lot of potential to open things up with Marquio, not beyond what Green did, but maybe to a Green level, certainly beyond what we saw Saturday. There were several questions here in the mailbag that that you know, I'll answer in written form, or maybe you know can kind of answer it here. Like again, Neil Brown came out afterwards and said, "Hey." Given the situation, the playbook was out, and it was just a full of plays that they basically ran. So, yeah, things are going to look different, and, and it's hard to tell what exactly WVU's offense is with Marquio compared to Green, or how, if he can pull it off after what we saw Pitt. Because that's not you're comparing apples to oranges here. You 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 can't do that. So I think we won't have a clear answer until he at least gets a, a real game under his belt with a real playbook at his disposal. Um, let's see. Moving on to the next question. Mike, God, I don't want to answer that one. A lot of questions about Jaheim White. Let me let me just kind of sum it up here. Were you okay with Jaheim White not getting snap? I don't did he get any snaps? I think he was out there for a couple snaps, but didn't get any touches. Yeah, small number. Um, I don't get it because they needed some juice and didn't get it, but they were pretty comfortably in control. Chris, they led by two scores for the final 17 minutes of that game. Um, and their defense is not going to get picked on by that quarterback. I, I just think that they were trying to get home in some regard. But again, you, you <laughs> I'm not saying it was an emergency, but you had these in case of players, and, and that's certainly one of them. And it's not because you or me or a fan or a subscriber says this guy's dangerous in practice or, or in a FCS opponent. We're continually told by the coaches and players that he's electric and that they've got to get him involved and that he will be involved and didn't happen. My only logical explanation is that there were some things that involved white and green that Marco maybe didn't practice. Just when you're when you're cutting down to like again 20, 25% of the bone some stuff isn't going to be in there. And I wonder if there's things that he, he watched but hadn't executed and the team said, you know what? We can't ask him to do this formation. Uh, we can't ask him. I mean, it might've been a thing where it was specifically set up for like a third of the right. And all of a sudden you flip it. Cause you got a left-handed quarterback in and you haven't blocked it. And it's weird. There's just a bunch of different explanations in there that are technical and maybe excuses. I don't know. 
but I think they were more comfortable staying away from some things that they had not worked on or were not yet to put out there, not yet ready to put out there with Mark Yo and White together. And also, Chris, it's kind of a big boy game at times. Like there was some heavy, heavy contact and blocking and hitting too, and that definitely required Donaldson and Anderson, and maybe that wasn't a between-the-tackles kind of a game for White in the running game. That doesn't mean they couldn't figure out a way to flip in the ball in the flat or run a screen or something for him, but very possible that Marquio just had not rehearsed that and they weren't going to call it. We skipped something. Not related to White, but the last question. The one before that. The where is your NIL bag money going? We did offense only. We didn't do defense, did we? Oh, good catch. Who you got okay. on defense? Oh, well, you went on such a passionate rant about Trey Lathan that that's one for me, Lathan. Yeah. I could see Aubrey Burks still getting it right and being a guy that you want to keep in the back end of the secondary. And moreover, I don't want to reset every year with safeties. If I can keep a guy who's been around for a couple of years and he's a veteran back there, that's important to me. And then just kind of like letting people behind the curtain here. We've already talked about this and the problem here <laughs> for the defense I don't know who the third person would be. Like, would you give it to Jeremiah Trotter for fear that he might get wooed? I don't know. Like, the mic's there for him next year if he wants to. So maybe he can be the guy, but maybe an Ohio school says, hey, a lot of change on defense here. Maybe come on over to blank school and blank conference. Maybe. Um, but he hadn't played. And then, like, okay, man, everybody likes Tomiwa Durajayi. He can't transfer. Mike Lockhart's been good, but is Mike Lockhart going to get you know pulled away by another school? Like I just don't know. It's a hard, it's a hard trick right now to identify our third player. Where do you think we go? Also, do you agree on the first two? Agree on the first two. Okay, I don't think there's much question for me about those two, and I'm with you about the third. And yeah, because again, people are like, "Oh, you're saying there's not three good players." Oh, there's very good players, but again, remember who can transfer and who can't. Guys that have transferred in, they can't transfer. Again, until they graduate. So some of these guys are not able to transfer. So I'm not. We're not going to, you know, open up the the bank to splurge on them with nil money. Uh, some of them are senior, like Lee Kobe. This is his last year. This is it. Um, we don't need to spend nil money on him after that. You keep going around, and I'm just like, man, where do I want to spend my money? And I don't don't have an answer. If you have to pick one person. I mean, there's a lot of people right now. Like, who are, there's people right now, Chris, who are waving their arms, going, "Hey, hey, hey, Sean Martin, Sean Martin." Yeah, I don't think he's leaving. Like again, he's got eligibility left. He could transfer. He's a very, very good player. Uh, he, he made a nice impact in that pit game with a couple big plays, but he had a lot of these options out of high school. Like you know, uh, the the teams that you think he might leave for. He had those offers in high school and he chose West Virginia. He wants to, he, he wanted to go to what WVU. So I don't, I mean, yeah, if, if you start hearing grumblings that he might be, you know, listening to other offers. Yeah. That's where my third bag goes, of course, but it's just not someone that I think is going to be jumping. But again, maybe, maybe that's your answer then because it's like, Hey, do you want to run that risk of, yeah, I think he's probably good. And then you don't pay him and then he's gone. And then you look, you, you got egg on your face because an in-state kid who was a stud left to go to another program. Like You don't want that either. Could you see 
again, similar to our quarterback question here, but could you see a Ben Cutter or a James Hurd evolving in such a way that maybe they're not starters, but they are splashy players who make noticeable contributions, and you say, you know what, that person is a piece in the future. You got to keep him because we are we are that low in the barrel right now. We are scraping trying to find this third player. Well, and I think I don't think other schools are going to with the, those two that you specifically mentioned right there. They ended up at West Virginia because these other schools, in part because these other schools looked at them and said, we think they're too small. Like, you know, they didn't reach the measurables that say, like, what, you know, are your minimums for the positions that they're being recruited for? And, and I mean, that's probably going to hurt. I mean, West Virginia did more work than just, hey, they passed on them, we get them. Like, that's not exactly how it worked. But, some of these guys were more lightly recruited. You know, they're not getting SEC offers or something like that because they're a couple inches shorter or they're a few tenths slower, stuff like that. And that, and I think Cutter and Hurd were overlooked because of that. And I don't think that's going to change in one year. I would agree. And then some of their defensive line prospects, they they kind of like um, Corey McIntyre in particular. I, I don't see him playing enough or well enough to get that head of attention. And then really you're you're kind of thin on options beyond that for transfer portal reasons that you mentioned or just playing time or experience and, and available eligibility and potential to actually play and play a lot and play well this year. It's pretty slim pickings there for that question. It's, so, it's such a strange conversation. Like, I feel like, are we talking about the Steelers? Are we talking about the Packers? Like, you know, like, how am I, how am I spending my budget? And I'm over here looking at guys like, well, I'm looking at one of these guys that's got like one year left so I can just, spend that money for the one year to keep them. And then it frees back up in my salary cap for the following season. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, we're talking college. Like, yeah. yeah. Cause I'm sitting here like, Oh, should I just spend my, spend that third bag on Hershey McLaurin? Cause he'll be a senior next year. And then I could turn around and free that money up for the year after that. Like, man, strange times, Michael, strange, Indeed. strange times. Um, it was something a little more specific that maybe is not, not usually a podcast question, but I, I wanted to get your take on it because you were going to know the answer better than me. This was from Timbo WVU 76, and uh, he referenced Pat Narduzzi saying that WVU runs RPO 60% of the time. Uh, first, wanted to check if that was accurate. And second, do you think it would be higher or lower with Nico than it is with Green? I think the one reason you asked this question is that it just didn't look like there was a lot of RPO stuff the other night. There were some times where, it, again, we don't know the play calls, and sometimes the play action can look like an RPO. It's a little bit more sophisticated than that, and there are going to be people who are rolling their eyes and, and slapping their forehead as I explain this, but I think visually a lot of people, they can look the same, and it's not a cop-out. Just I don't have a headset, so I'm not really sure, but it looks like Green has a lot of options to and pass sometimes um, and maybe a, what looks like a play action he can actually hand it off instead I would say based on Narduzzi's estimation that that's probably pretty close to accurate and you can watch their formation sometimes too when they run plays like it's a handoff to Anderson or Donaldson inside but you know there's a bubble screen in the back end and that's a slant on the front side of the play and there's just things like that that maybe it's window dressing to occupy second level defenders and give you a chance to hit one right away at the middle but maybe it's like okay this run play is going to get swallowed if I hand it off and this guy's open on the flat for a screen. Ta-da! So those are, those are RPO plays that could certainly be it. I think we saw Marchio do that a couple times, but maybe he just didn't have, again, going back to this, maybe just didn't have a lot of 
play calls that Brown was letting him run for lack of practice or anything like that. So I would say right now you might not have seen a lot and you might not see many more. But in a game, man, you really got to flip everything when you go from a right-handed quarterback to a left-handed quarterback, and that might not be stuff they want to do mid-stroke and try to figure out how to reinvent the wheel during a game. You can do that in practice. I would say that if there is going to be like an evolution of ideas or play calls, the RPO would be one for Marchio, but Green is probably, as a, a more instinctive and, and uh, faster runner, more immediate runner, and the fact that he's a little bit more seasoned, he probably had more and will have more, but I bet you that's something they try to build in for Marchio. Right. Uh, probably going to be our last question here with an interesting cross-rivalry comparison or potential comparison. Mountain Gator 96 asked, does Neil Brown have the structure, young players, and recruiting class in place to have a Frank Beamer-type turnaround? Like, I know some of that's probably unanswerable, but I felt it was noticed because he said, I said, Beamer turnaround, what in the world are you talking about? I didn't know this because I was three at the time when he took over at Virginia Tech, but here are his first six seasons, Frank Beamer. Two and nine, three and eight, six, four and one, six, five, five, six, five and six, two, eight and one. And then after that, rattles off, you know, a, a pretty historic type of run for the Hokies. Mike, what do you recall that? And did you know that? And and what what needs to be in place for that kind of turnaround? You know, because typically, if you're not doing something by year six, you're already fired. Yeah, that wouldn't happen now in a power five school, right? Um, what would have to be in place? Uh, maybe like a blockade on social media because the volume is so high right now and it has such reach to donors and sometimes by donors, but also people who really support a program, high dollar spending like donors and, and people who just come to games or have season tickets it, and it reaches the athletic department that it's hard to ignore that. Like, could you imagine, can you imagine like the chin that an AD would have to have to go through that? Right now, like to take a lot of punches year in and year out, I just don't know that constitution exists for players or excuse me, for, for athletic directors and maybe even university presidents right now. That's a really hard thing to do, and especially when the longevity of ADs is so brief right now. Like you're, I think that the average AD is like in between six and seven years right now. And you're talking that you're going to spend your six years crossing your fingers in a coach. No way. You would definitely want to swim downstream on these things. And that's just not the way of the world anymore. Does Brown have infrastructure and facilities in place. Yeah, man. Like, I don't think anybody has a problem with his plan and the way he explains it and the way he has built like the skeleton. They have good facilities. They don't want for a lot of stuff there. Everybody wants more, but they can go around and, and like they're invited to the party and they can talk about their facilities and, and not be ashamed. They, what they have is good stuff. Good stuff. Could it be better? Sure. But that's the goal for everybody and including West Virginia. Does he have the roster, the coaching staff, and like the spending resources right now? That's where it gets a little bit harder. And and can he turn it around? And this is where it gets really tricky for me in the modern time, Chris, is that eventually a program that's going in the right direction and is slowly turning will turn itself around. Like you'll turn that barge around in the in the canal and you'll be okay. But now the whole thing has been just shaken up and it's so volatile because of the transfer portal and roster management that you don't get time for a developmental program and a developmental plan to turn around in the canal. It's got to be fast. And what you were doing organically before with let's recruit players, let's develop and let's keep a coaching staff together. And by the time in a place like West Virginia, this is a noble and, and reasonable idea. 
every couple of years have a senior heavy or experienced program that competes for or wins a conference title. That's fine. Like you're not going to be a Texas or an Oklahoma that can roll out championship contenders every year. You just, you're not. But now it's so hard because everybody's supposed to be good every year because you have these immediate fixes in the portal that I think that really gets people rowing in the different direction, in which case it, it is hard to turn that barge around and going in there now. Can it happen? Again, I think the ideas and the infrastructure is there. Will it happen? We'll see. But I think it's there's some, some serious doubt about it now because what we have seen for four plus years and also because like the process maybe didn't hit home as quickly as you wanted it to. And now it's just so much more complicated because of roster management, which includes getting the right players coming in. They have not excelled at that, but also keeping the wrong players from leaving. They haven't excelled at that either. Can't say there's anything I disagree with you there. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, I've been looking at that situation and it's like, what was Virginia Tech like in 1992, three, which I think was year six of Frank Beamer? Like, were they in a good enough spot where they were? you know spending money and had facilities like a top 25 team at the time i don't think so i wouldn't think so um they didn't exactly have like an illustrious history prior to that um he kind of you know he is the guy in their school history frank beamer so it it is possible in west virginia i think has kind of the resources and such uh that that would be better than where you know, say Virginia Tech was in 1992-93. But the game is so different now, so different for so many different reasons, most of which you just mentioned right there, that it, it throws a lot of different complications in there and, and a lot of different hurdles for him to try to come over. So we'll see, but you're, you're right. You're not getting year six. You're not going two and eight, two, eight and one in year six and being like, hey, I still got this. Also, it's nice to have the Tidewater region in your backyard too. Like that, that clicked. Like a lot of really good players came out of like that that part of Virginia at around that time, and it kept going and going and going. It became a hotbed for recruiting that Hampton Roads area. That helps. That certainly helped them. And and I know people are going to say, "Hey, UVA is closer." Trust me, Virginia Tech. That is Virginia Tech territory over there, mm-hmm. not UVA territory. Not even close. Also, some of the the team like the schedules people forget like that Big East back then. Like they're playing, I'm, I'm looking at some of these teams here, like Temple, Rutgers, Boston College, Syracuse is up and down every so often. Like it was, it was pretty thin some of those years too. So you could engineer a turnaround by getting good conference wins and getting into bowl games. And then all of a sudden you have a string of, hey, five straight bowl seasons or four out of five bowl wins. It's different now when you're playing the teams that are in these conferences, these power conferences now that, you know, West Virginia walked into a, an Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor. Texas, like some some heavy duty programs when they got there. And that's cooled off though. But now you're reloading with such a quantity of teams that maybe there's some easier wins. But a lot of people are trying to do the same thing right now, which might make it difficult as well. well I think that'll wrap us up for the podcast here. We're gonna have the rest of the questions in written format. That'll go up on Tuesday morning sometime, maybe mid morning. Um a lot of good questions in there, and, and we'll keep getting around to them. And again, a couple of those we're even using for our three-minute videos, so look out for those later in the week as well. I enjoyed these. These were good questions. Hopefully the answers were sufficient. We'll try harder next time. Um, big day coming up. Check the site. Post-news conference reports from Chris, from me. Until then, I am Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.